Welcome to Mary Liar Talks, a podcast that discusses mental health and spiritual well-being. Before we jump in, there may be episodes that are particularly sensitive for some listeners. And if that applies, then I hope you'll be able to join me whenever you feel ready and able. Today's episode is with guest Samiat Foloronzo, who when growing up was fostered in an unusual way known as farming. So I started off by asking her, what's farming? Um, so farming, that kind of term, I only really got introduced to it when a friend of mine said to me, oh, have you seen this film that came out? And I said, no, it's, it's called Farming. And I said, it's like, it sounds like your story. So I went to have a look to see what the film was about. And it was about this Nigerian boy who was given to um, a white family in Tilbury in Essex, not far from where I was fostered. And mm-hmm. um, it's his experience of his life with that family. And so when talking to other people, people randomly it seemed like farming was a thing Mm -hmm. back then and which I didn't really realize so yeah it's only recently I've come accustomed to knowing what okay what farming is and actually I was farmed really (laughs) (laughs) do you know what when I first heard that term and it was only recently Mm. I kind of thought that sounds like an odd name you know Mm. I think of I don't know if it's cattle or agricultural whatever it is Mm. so I only found out when I was in my adult years Mm. that my older brother and sister had actually been, let's call it farmed. And the way it was even casually mentioned by my mum was a shock to me because I just didn't know that they'd been fostered. And I remember her saying that she went there unexpectedly Mm. to the house where they were staying and Mm -hmm. she found them in a bit of a state. So it looked like they weren't actually taken care of. So she basically took them out. Let's find out a little bit more about what led to you being fostered privately. So my parents came to this country in the late, early eight, 1980s. Okay. And so the plan had been for my dad to bring my mum here because she had some family here. And then he was going to go to the state and do some studying for a time. And so while my mum was here, she needed to work. And the place where she was staying with family was quite small. So she was looking for somebody that could look after me. So I think it was an auntie of her that told her that she knew someone had done a similar thing. Mm-hmm. So she could ask the see if there was a family that she knew that could look after me and so I think family spoke to the people they knew and got in contact with a family and my mum went down to go and visit that family in Essex with uh, my granddad and my auntie and everyone seemed to like each other and so as the story goes it was my foster mum she was going oh can we take her today and my mum was like oh no we can't she hasn't got no clothes with her. <laughs> right, wow. we'll come we'll come back next week they love you that much (laughs) so everybody seemed to get along and it's when I hear that story I was like okay so you know nowadays you they do DBS checks and you have to go Mm -hmm. through all this checks and rigmarole so none of that it was just when I when I think about um, my experience and how I was placed with my foster parents I was like god you were looking out for me from the Mm. very beginning kind of thing because I could have been placed anywhere you know there was there's so many stories I've I've heard so yeah that's how I ended up with my wife and how and how old was you at the time I was six months a little bit older than six months so very young yeah I guess what was life like being fostered um so 
when I think about it and I think about my memories of that time, I think of very happy times. For me, it was like, it's like this was normal to me. Mm-hmm. Having two sets of parents was, was normal for me. So I didn't see it was like anything like, oh, I'm different mm-hmm. to anybody else. This was just how my life was. And I'm not very, not one to, I think as my nature to pick out things. So it was normal for me to have white parents and my mum would come down on every other every other Sunday on the train so I'd call her mummy train and she'd come down and she'd visit us and she'd do my hair Um, (laughs) and bring jammy jammy dodgers so I always knew after that and that's what I remember always she was always in our lives it wasn't like oh mum wasn't there because she came down every two weeks it was just normal to have her there and we'd have roast dinner and she would tell me I always remember when I have a roast I think about those times when Jackie and Paul that was my foster parents made me a roast and she would sit down and watch some period drama on the tv so whenever now when she sees period drama it always just reminds her of that time it was a pleasant time and it was just it was just normal to me so basically every fortnight yeah your biological mum your mum would mm-hmm. come and visit so she was always consistently and regularly there in your life and yeah. that was just part and parcel of life mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. two sets of parents was you also in contact with your dad yeah on a... not as much and that's because he was overseas much. i guess or yeah. right so did you have your own time with your mum or was it always when she came to visit that you guys spent time together with your foster parents so on the holidays so Easter and Christmas and summer holidays we would go back to visit with my mum and stay with her uncle so we'd all just pile into the house with my cousins so those were always happy times because I'd be able to play with my cousins around the holidays so yeah we did get to spend spend alone time with her which was which was nice it was nice and it was difficult because there was a transition there Mm -hmm. but I feel like it allowed me to know about parts of my culture Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like I never knew about where I came from and my culture so it was kind of like having two me's yeah. So um, what were your other positive, happy memories that you can remember from, from that time? Well, I think when I think about it, simple things. My mm. first dad had an allotment and I always enjoyed going with him to go to the allotment or going to the dump because that was always mm. fun. Because if we went to the dump to go and take out rubbish, that means that we could come back by the horses. And then I would say, Dad, can we feed the horses? Right. So I'd always say that, OK, we can feed the horses. And he would teach me how to put my hand out so that the horse doesn't bite your fingers right. and right. feed horses apples. It was those kind of things, just out yeah. and about, but just simple things like baking cakes with mum in the kitchen mm-hmm. and or mum teaching me how to waltz around the sitting room and exposing me to people like music that if I'd grown up just with my Nigerian family I would not Mm -hmm. know about people like Connie Francis and Zilla Black and learning like it was like being in two different cultures right so it was very rich but also difficult sometimes to transition between the two and and I get that because I guess being born and brought up in the UK I'm very exposed to obviously UK culture but then also growing up in a Nigerian household where we didn't really follow culture too much but enough to really know and be familiar with 
um, how to respect elders and, you know, those kind of traditional yeah. ways. So um, I get that. Probably not as much as you because you were in the, I guess, in the deep thick of it, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess that comes with just the, the enrichment in your life in terms of mm. your experience of having those two two experiences. Um, like one of the things you mentioned was about that transition in terms of the two cultures. Mm. Like, I don't know if you've seen it. There's this TV show. It's not running now. It's and it was called This Is Us. Yeah. Okay. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy, one of the characters, Randall, and he was adopted into this loving, like, white household. But he did feel different because he didn't look like his siblings. He didn't look like his parents. Mm. So was that your experience as well? Or am I just fantasizing and basing it on this TV show? It's funny you say that because it was my aunt that said, oh, you got to watch this program because right. it's called This Is Us. Yeah. There's a guy in there and he reminds me of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I did. I watched it and there are similarities because there is the thing about my, my hair didn't flick like everybody else <laughs> flick sure. side to side. Yeah. And I remember trying to put in a towel on my head and pretending. So it would, I want my head to flick too right. um, yeah, so there yeah. is it's all the love was there but there were slight differences there were mm -hmm. differences in the culture in the differences and how we kind of like back my biological mum how we greet people and things like mm -hmm. that um, and the respect aspect and then having to like okay switch this up in your head and you can just go back to to the what I call the normal way of mm -hmm. you know of life where there isn't all these kind of protocols like, or... protocols and and yeah. things like that so mum and dad in Essex they were very very kind of protective mm. um, of us and so I feel like that love like cocooned us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's amazing when you have been given that love how much more confident you, mm. you feel as an individual because knowing sure. that you've always got um, somewhere that you belong or people that will have your back so I could see similarities mm -hmm. with the program in regards to the hair like how to how sure. mom used to manage how to do my hair and she did she tried bless her I remember the hairstyles oh. that she would try and do for me you know when you'd plait one bit because mm -hmm. she didn't know how to do cornwall there was things that was challenging for them i guess yeah, um, yeah as well yeah. as for us but how aware were you in terms of your family set up from a very young age so like i guess going to school mm. you know like how your parents would drop off their children mm -hmm. how aware were you that your background family mm. set up was different and that wasn't the norm or when did it click i don't know if that if there was that click really i don't know if it ever did it, it was just us maybe mum and dad did maybe they experienced it from their family but maybe it's just because I've got such happy memories of that mm, time yeah, of yeah. people or as a child maybe you don't notice things in that way just sounds like you didn't really have any or many negative experiences in terms of feeling different with I think so, it's mm. more so when I came back and spent time with my mum, I mm. realised how different we were. Right. Because mm. growing up with mum and dad in Essex, we did everything like they did. And so when we would come back and spend time with my cousins and my aunties and uncles, it was like, oh, why don't you do this? Or don't you do that? And when right. the language was spoken, we didn't understand it. So mm. that was difficult. Then I knew like, oh, we're different. That's where mm. I felt the difference because sure. we didn't go to school with them. And my mum would say when people would come, oh, yeah, they're going back to the nanny and all that kind of thing.
everything and that's when that was highlighted for me not so much when I was with my foster parents more so when I was with my mum because that was different because we didn't spend all of our time with her so that pattern of from six months old to how old was you was it nine Were you when yeah. yeah that was your that was regular life mm-hmm. and then came that time when you moved permanently with your mum do you actually remember that day when you yeah right okay talk us through that Oh, and were you even prepared? Did you know beforehand it was no, going to happen? Yeah, no. yeah. I always remember that day because it's, you know, like when you have landmark yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. So it was the end of a six-week holiday and we was all getting prepared to go back home. And by that six weeks, by the end, I was ready to go back home because we've had all our fun time mm-hmm. and I just want to get back because I had my own room <laughs> with my sister. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it was like, I was looking forward to going back to start with my new my new year in my, in my school and I was going to mm-hmm. get a teacher that I really liked and I remember it and it's like oh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be in year five and I'm gonna have such and such teacher and I'm really excited to have her because she's a really good teacher and I'm gonna go back and tell everybody how my summer holidays was and I miss my mum and dad in Essex terribly so it was always a relief to be able to go back go back to the norm yeah go back to the norm and then uh, I don't know who told us it was my cousins actually it wasn't even my mum it was my cousin that said you guys are not going home I said what do you mean we're not going back mm. said, no you're not going back where you're staying here and then I remember mm. them sending my older sister to go and telephone my foster parents that they're not coming home they're not coming back and I thought we both thought that we're never going to see each other again mm. and I just remember crying and crying and crying but I couldn't show anybody my tears because sure. to me by showing them my tears it was like saying I didn't want to be here I didn't mm. want to be with my mum and why do you want to upset her to make her feel like you don't want to be with her sure. so all of that was like hidden I hid it before but it was really really painful of course of course And, and was that the same with your siblings then yeah um, did they hide it as well as um, it? it was just the three of us at the time so my older sister she knew about it she always knew that summer so I, it wasn't a shock to her my younger brother was three or four at the time so I don't think he really understood what mm-hmm. was happening only, mm-hmm. only later when he asked me when are we going back home right okay and it was hard for him sure because he would just cry at night mm. okay so I, I guess there were like three different responses but your older sister she already knew so mm. she was more prepared and mm. therefore maybe not such so much of an outward reaction there was yourself that didn't have that outward reaction but you were unprepared and therefore but you kept it you know I'm not saying your sister didn't keep it in and then your younger brother because he was such he was so young Mm. he expressed it openly Mm. yeah but I can understand of course um how hard it was for not just yourselves but also Mm. for your parents you know your foster parents and and probably even your mum you know Yeah. yeah just knowing that transition and how to manage it mm. yeah I think it it was devastating for mom and dad in Essex I know yeah um afterwards she'd speak about her having a breakdown after it happened right. kind of thing because she didn't think that she was going to see us again so right. yeah. it was heartbreaking sure. for them because we had been their kids for so long that means you've, you've you spoke to them after you moved back permanently with your mum biological mum mm-hmm. so how did you maintain or get back in terms of that relationship with your foster parents i don't know the specifics of it but i 
I think it must have been two moms must have spoken or my sister must have spoken with them because I think the, f- the reason why they didn't let them know there was a big fear factor with my mom and with that side of the family that if they had told them we wasn't coming they wouldn't let us go because mm-hmm. they could see how much they loved us mm-hmm. so I think that, that that was their biggest fear so once they realized that 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 there was no substance in that fear kind of thing, that that necessarily mm. wasn't going to be the case, then that allowed for the communication to flow. Um, so yeah, I think it was maybe the following summer where we got to go back. So now it reversed. <laughs> sure, yeah. We went to mum and dad for summer holidays, Easter and Christmas in Essex, and we lived okay. our lives with mum here. Right, okay. <laughs> and that was how it was every year. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, that's, yeah, interesting. That's balmy, isn't it? <laughs> Barmy, but it just sounds like okay. I get, I get it now. Actually, I get it. I get how you know roles have reversed in a sense, um, and how it then made sense to keep that communication, that relationship, but the other way around. Um, and I guess it was always from day one. I guess, or I'm imagining that that was always going to be the the plan. You know, that you and your siblings yeah. would permanently move with your, with your mum but yep. it was just the when I guess yes. um, and that when came when you were about nine mm. years old right. I didn't realize that though. I thought this was always going to be sure, I thought that's I all go. you knew no yeah. I was going to go to school here go to secondary school here I was going to get my job here I yeah. that didn't that thought never entered I don't think my mind that that was going to change. Mm. I think that's why it was so hard mm. to um, to leave them. And how did you then learn or grow to just accept that change, you know? Because that's a significant change. Um, I think, well, we both, we've grown up in Nigerian households, isn't it? Mm. So it's a lot different to how it is now, where the communication is, is more so between, sure. you know, parents and their children. Yeah. Back then, children, when you didn't necessarily have that dialogue, with your parents you know children were you sit down you read your book you yeah. make yourself practically invisible so that they don't come and trouble you and tell you to do chores and whatnot or you get in trouble <laughs> yeah so it, it was kind of like just mm. being if I would just could hide and hide myself away mm. from kind of trying to run away from the situation and making my own world mm. that's mm. what I felt like um, I did to kind of cope with it and naturally I'm a person that's always looked at the positive sides and I didn't realize mm. that this was something that is just I think innate because my husband would say you're oblivious to everything you just didn't you see that didn't you see that and I'm like not necessarily because I'm not looking for mm. a hiccup or I'm not looking for a bad thing. I'm not looking for something. I like things that are nice. I like to mm. concentrate on things that are nice and it will give me joy. So mm. I guess even back then, that was like a coping mechanism of concentrating on mm. for the good aspects of things. Yeah, I get it. You're an optimist, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what do you think your fostering background how do you think it shaped you as a person or do you think it shaped you as a person? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Tolerance. Tolerance right. for different cultures, tolerance for different experiences, where people have come from. Knowing that you can love anybody, doesn't mm. matter if they come from you or not. Because yeah. it's very funny how for me and my, my younger brother, who were basically with them from when we were babies, I'm very much like my foster mum used to be. And my brother is very like like my foster dad and mm-hmm. and and I see things that my brother does like gosh you just like dad just like mm-hmm. dad he so, doesn't like to spend money 
very thrifty mm. kind of thing. <laughs> Buyers will buy loads of clothes but don't wear them and put them in a wardrobe and still wear holy ones. Sorry, Len, mm. sorry. I'm exposing you. <laughs> but yeah, and I think being fostered made me like just have that more tolerance and love and compassion mm. for people where they've come from kind of thing no, and knowing that not everybody has you know the I say normal a certain way of being brought up mm. it can be looked different and it doesn't mean that it's wrong it can look all different ways and able to navigate in different cultures mm. with different people as well mm. yeah you know how you had let's just say those two worlds in terms of the two cultures mm. that you were in do you think that over time you've been able to merge the two together or float in between or mm. you know them not being so siloed more effortlessly as time's gone on I think so I think mm. I'm a lot better I, I used to find going into an environment where the Nigerian culture is very prevalent quite hard for mm. me just because also because of my nature as well it always seemed very harsh mm. harsher yeah. and only through growing up I, I realised that it's not harsher or harder that it's just different okay that's a nice way I can see why you mentioned being <laughs> optimist <laughs> it's different because i guess the first when i first went back to nigeria i it clicked and i realized that i understand why we as a people can be like mm. that because you have to fight for everything you have to fight for your space even on the road because yeah. it's so busy yeah. it's not easy so if mm. you want to get something you have to fight for it mm. and that means that there's a kind of there's a power within inside of you to be able to survive because we are survivors there's a lot of things that you know we've had to overcome mm. so I understand why that is but I guess I think living with my mum I got to see now not just the harshness but I think it's the first time I saw her cry and I was just like wow you cry mm. but yes <laughs> They cry and feel as well. It's just the process of, of emotions is different to how I would recognize them, but it doesn't mean that they don't have them. Sure. Yeah. So lastly, so if someone is actually struggling, let's just say they are, they're coming from two different backgrounds or they're, mm. they are in two different worlds. Let's put it that way. And then maybe mm. they're struggling with belonging or feeling different or mm. they're having to overcome some sort of transition, you know, a sharp transition. Do you have any advice or tips that you've had to follow yourself or you've learnt over mm. time, or you're maybe you're even still learning that you could share to others? I think having grace for yourself and knowing that it's okay to feel the way that you feel and mm. just really recognising that mm -hmm. I'm feeling this way. I think I try to escape a lot of the time from my feelings. I used to read a lot, so going into books and st stories, and that is was a great coping mechanism at the time, but didn't really deal with the, the trauma of it. So just recognising and owning, like where you're at mm. and being able to identify and just giving yourself the grace to process it. Mm. And I think for me, knowing that I belong with Christ mm. has just helped me to feel loved and accepted regardless of which world I think I belong to, mm. I belong to him. Mm. I found my identity in him. And so that has also just helped me to feel that it's okay. You know, I, I still, even now, I don't feel like I quite fit here. I don't mm. quite fit there. Mm. But it's okay 
because right. that's what God purpose for me to be. And because I don't fit necessarily quite so neatly, I'm able to do things that others might not be able to do because they do fit so neatly. Right. Kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, so there's a, there's, a, there's a reason for your journey and it's finding out what that reason is so that your purpose can be fulfilled and it's in that fulfillment you find the joy, the happiness and the healing. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks so much for sharing your story and okay. those words. So thanks to you and also to everyone who's listening. Thanks for joining me on Mary Laya Talks. Hope to see you soon. Sammy mentioned about belonging to God. So here's a spiritual wellness tip that you can meditate on. It's John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 and reads, But all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Thank you for listening. Do follow and join me again next time on Mary Lyre Talks Beyond the Smile.